First Peter chapter 2, beginning to read at verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Which in time past ye were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Let's pray again. Father, thank you for your presence for your spirit. We ask you, Lord, now that you would Lord, take every one of us and speak to our own several hearts. Help us to see the Lord Jesus Christ and who we are in him. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you for every blessing that you bestow upon us. But more, Father, we thank you for who you are, loving and gracious and kind and good, compassionate and tender in mercy to all of your children. So help us, we pray, Lord. As our faces differ, so do our needs, and you know every one of them. So this morning, from the eldest to the youngest, every man and woman, boy, girl, and child, even those who are now out in the crash, Lord, and the teachers, will you bless them today? Challenge us, Lord, if you want to challenge, Lord, do as you see and deem fit and glorify your name. For Jesus' sake, I ask it. Amen. We want to speak this morning on simple title, Precious Jesus. Precious Jesus. Three verses of our reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Three times the word precious is used. In verse 4, in verse 6 and in verse 7. You'll read precious, precious, and precious. First of all, Jesus is precious to God. He's precious to his Father, in other words. Notice in verse 4 what it says. To whom, coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. The living stone is Christ. And he says, we are coming to him. The men who disallowed this stone were 
uh, referred to as the Pharisees of the Jewish leaders at the time. And now Peter, after the cross, was looking and saying, you were, he was disallowed of them. But to us, he is the living stone that we come to. He's the one who has life, who is life, and from him comes all life. And he says, those of us who are in the faith, those of us who are saved, he's saying that we are come not to a temple made with hands. Yes, we gather together for someone somewhere to worship here. And we, we, we love to come and gather with people of like mind and like faith. Of course we do. But when we leave here, God does not stay here. We, we say we're going to church and we understand what we mean. But really, we are the church. And so being the church means that God is living in us. And when we gather together, we are all lively stones built up into the temple of the Lord. Individually, our body, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But together we are the temple of the Lord. We expect God when we gather together to come to speak to us. Because he is in his temple. So if God is not speaking in a meeting. On a regular occasion and people are saying well we're going in and we're coming out. And we're, we're clocking hard as it were. We're just sitting in the meeting. If God is not speaking in the meeting. Then we have to ask ourselves how alive are the stones and to what condition is the spiritual temple? I thank the Lord that he deems fit to come and speak to us here, to come and move among us here and to bless us, to move in power and, and healing power too. I thank the Lord that he comes not only through his word to speak, but he comes in spirit to speak to us as well. And the Lord Jesus says that the one we are coming to is not a temple in Jerusalem, disallowed of the Pharisees. They didn't want him. Crucify him of the Jews of his day. Crucify him. Crucify away with this man. We're not having to rule over us. And now he says, but you and I. In fact, initially, this, this book was written initially to scattered Israel. The strangers scattered abroad, Peter tells us. And so whenever he's writing that, people are hearing about Christ. And they're coming to faith in him. And he's saying, look, we are the temple. We are coming to the living God. We're not coming to a dead worship. We're not coming to dead ritual. We're not coming to absolute sacrifice of animals. We're not coming to any of that. We are the temple gathered together, he says, and we are coming to the living stone, who is Christ himself. So when we leave here, we just don't come to church, as it were. We are the church, the body of Christ. And so we are Christ to many people out there in the sense that we are his mystical body on the earth. And so then Peter says, he is precious. To God. The Lord Jesus is precious to the Father. In other words, notice this. To, who, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Now we're going to look at some, something this morning. And there's a lot of people don't like to think about this. But we're going to look at it this morning. I personally, when I look at what I'm going to show you, I think it is so tremendous that it encourages me in the faith. It blesses me, builds me up, and my hope is fully in Christ. And so people think, well, God has a choice. Surely not. But here the scriptures tell us of the Lord Jesus that he is chosen of God. For example, in the book of Hebrews, we'll not read it, but if you go and look at Hebrews chapter 5, the high priest in Israel was to be taken from among men. He was to be off that line, that chosen line of it was the Aaronic priesthood. 
He was to be from the chosen line, from that chosen family, which God had ordained because God had chosen it. And so there's a chosen priesthood in the old covenant. And so God has a choice. God had a choice when he chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had a choice. He had an election of choice. And he continues that down through the years. So when the Lord Jesus, as a man, is born in Bethlehem, out of all the men that ever lived, from Adam the whole way through, out of every person in Israel, whether it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on, it doesn't matter. It's Christ is the one whom he hath chosen to be his lamb. Chosen to be the sacrifice. Christ is the one that the Father has chosen. Now we're going to look at it a little bit more. So God has a choice. Jesus is precious to God because he's chosen also of God. The word chosen here is a word eklektos. And it simply means this. We're going to need to uh, listen to a couple of these uh, renderings for a moment. It means picked out. Picked out. It means to be picked out from a certain number. For example, Jesus, we, 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 I've said it, we pray it, uh, we, we teach it, that he, he is the chiefest among 10,000. In other words, he alone among all men, but really it's 10,000 of this sort and 10,000 of that sort, 10,000 of any sort, 10,000 priests after another 10,000 priests after another 10,000 priests, another 10,000 and apostles and prophets, and you can go on and on and on. It means continuously Jesus is the chosen one. He is the prophet, priest, and king. He's the chiefest of all men. He was anointed with the oil of joy or gladness above his fellows. God gave him more. He is God, but the Father gave him more as a man. So notice this. He was chosen of God and he's precious. That means he's picked out. He was selected. So there's no other man that ever walked this earth. There's no other, no other man born of a woman. Now remember I'm saying that he's a man, but he's also God. But we're looking at his humanity. There's no other man that was born of a woman who could save our souls. So whenever you realize of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done on the cross, you realize how precious he is to his Father. When you realize how he is chosen, he is elect, he is selected out, it was him and him alone out of all the people in the earth that ever lived from Adam to this day and forever till Christ returns, till kingdom comes and set up on the earth, you'll find that there is no other man, no spiritual guru, no one else will do, for he is the only one who is chosen of God. He is precious. Now, when we hear of other religions, we hear of other faiths, and people are so sincere, and, and they are. Many people are, are far more fervent in their faith than many Christians are. But yet it's not the true faith, and there's not a true way of salvation, and yet we have the truth. Christ himself is the truth. I am the way, the truth, the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Through that veil of flesh, we enter the Father, into the presence of the Father. When the, the temple was rent and the veil, uh, pardon me, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top and the bottom, the two parts, 
We can now enter into the holy place when we are praying this morning when we were worshiping. Guess where you were? In Guilford, in Christ Encounters Tabernacle? Yes, in your body. But really, in the spirit, you were in the Holy of Holies. You were right before God. We had come, and as the book of Hebrews says, through the veil that is his flesh, torn for us. So now, when we look at this, he is precious. You can see now that as a, if you're a born-again believer, if you're fully trusting in the blood of Jesus and that alone, then you're saved. And because of that, then when we look at this, we have to say then, no matter what the world says, no matter what authority says, no matter what government says, no matter what the European courts of human rights say, no matter what any commission says, we cannot move from Christ and Christ alone. We cannot take our faith and mingle it, ecumenize it with others. We cannot say, well, we believe it, but we can add to it. Neither can we say we can take from it because Christ is our all and all, and it's only him. He alone is the chosen one of the Father, the Lamb of God, and there's no other way. You and I are so blessed this morning to know him as our Savior. He is chosen of God. Now, many Christians say, when I, I, I choose Jesus. No, you didn't. He chose you. We're going to look at this. And many Christians, when I come to the, the Christian having a cho- or pardon me, God having a choice over the human, and the Christian saying, no, I chose Christ. And the idea of this is, no, you didn't, because way in eternity past, God knew you, loved you, and gave you to his son. And he is the chosen of his father. So the Lord Jesus is the one and only savior. He is God's choice. And also, because of the faith he gives and parts, imputes to us, we are in him. He is elect of the Father too. Notice this in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Luke 23, we have the story. Let me get a drink. Of Christ on the cross. People were mocking him, scorning him. And in verse 35 it says, And the people stood beholding him, and the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. Now we have to look at this. What made them think that Jesus thought that he was the chosen of God? What made them say that? If he's the chosen of God. Because these Pharisees and these, uh, even the Romans around the cross and the Jews around there, they were saying in Jerusalem, he says that he's God. He says he's equal with God. He says God is his father. So now he's saying, I am who I am. I am that I am. And so now at the cross, he's saying, now prove it. Come down to the cross and save yourself. And the difference is here, if you're chosen of God as you are, then come save yourself. But the real problem was, if he did, then you and I could not enter into the blessing of our salvation. So he was chosen of God to die, to give his life, 
Does it not show us as well sometimes that even though we speak about being God's sons and daughters, chosen in Christ, that we, when we speak of the, the love that he gave to us, it also shows you that sometimes God allows us to go through and into purposes in heaven that we... Now, Christ came knowing that he would die, but we sometimes end up in some situations and we don't really understand why. It doesn't mean you're any less his, but rather that maybe you're just exactly where he wants you to be. And in that, there's more being accomplished there's more being accomplished in your life, in your family, in your home. Uh, even that which is coming against you. Listen, I'm speaking where there's no sin in the camp. Well, there's no sin in the life where you're not habitually walking in, a, in an open course of sin. Uh, that sometimes we find ourselves in places where things are happening. And look, I'm a child of God. This should never be happening to me. Listen, let's get out of the airy fairy cupboard for a moment. Let's get out of the fairy tale books and let's get into reality that there is a spiritual warfare going on all over the place. And you and I are more than conquerors through him that loved us. We are overcomers through the blood of Christ. Yes, we are all of that, but that does not mean for Christ was almighty God in flesh. Yet he hung on the cross because there was a greater purpose. Sometimes when we are in the extremity of our loneliness and our grief and our hurt and our disappointments. Sometimes we think, well, and I've heard people say, oh, if God's fallen out with you if you haven't been well. Listen, that's total nonsense. God's fallen out with you if everything isn't sweet and all rosy in the garden in your family. Now, that's nonsense. God loves you. And at times when the devil comes to attack, God is refining you and other things are happening all around you that you don't even know. Already God is speaking to someone. Already God is starting to deal with someone to come along your path. Maybe to bless you, to encourage you, to help you. Already God is working on someone, maybe it's to do with a job or something else where it's already working and you don't know and you don't understand it, yet God is moving in it. All we need to do is trust him in all ways and watch him bring it to pass. Notice this. The Lord Jesus is chosen of God and precious to his father. Listen to what the Lord says. God says in Zechariah 13 and 7, he calls Jesus prophetically now. Before This is, before, this is in the Old Covenant. He calls Jesus the man. That is my fellow. And he's speaking, he's speaking of him in that context that this is a man who's precious to me. The man that is my fellow or the man who is my associate. This is Almighty God. This is Yahweh. Jehovah God saying, the man that is my associate. The man who is beside me, who walks with me, and I walk with him. It gives the idea of someone who labors along as I labor. Jesus says, I do nothing of myself. As I see my father do, I do. So it means that when Christ is born, not only chosen of God and he's elect, he's precious, but here he's now God's fellow and he's the fellow in whom God is in. And he says, 
See this one? He's precious to me. He is precious to me. He is the Father's beloved Son through the Gospels. So many references. The Mount of Transfiguration, he's claimed to be the the beloved Son of the Father again. In the River Jordan, this is my beloved Son, and whom I'm well pleased, and up on the mountain, Transfiguration as we call it, he is the beloved Son. This is my beloved Son. Hear ye him. So the Father's saying, I love this one. He is mine. I have chosen him. He is my lamb. And he watches his son grow up in a place of full apostasy. Talmudism from Babylon had come into the temple, into Jewish worship. And he looks at it and he says through the prophet Isaiah, for he shall grow up before him as a tender plant. Who's the tender plant but the lovely son of God? He's growing up before his father. He's watching him from Bethlehem. He sees him walking around as a young child. He watches him all of his life. He's a tender plant growing up and as a root out of a dry ground. So here's the dry ground of, a, of, of apostasy that's in the land of uh, Canaan at the time and he's watching him grow up as a root out of it. The only living stone, the only life. Christ was the only life and the only standard of holiness in all of the universe outside of God's heaven. So he is precious, he's precious, Jesus. He is the Father's lamb. He's the Father's chosen. And he's elect, so he's precious. Precious. What is precious? Well, preciousness is based on the evaluation of the beholder. I'm going to say it again. Preciousness is based on the evaluation of the beholder. I remember growing up as a wee boy, my dad used to always collect coins and stamps. I just couldn't get it. Sorry if you do. I, I just didn't get it. It's a coin. There it is. You put it in the book and it's in the drawer. You look at it. It's a coin, you know. The stamp, yep, it's a bit of paper, it's a stamp, you know. And I just didn't get it. But my dad trailed me around all over the place to go into all these stamp shops and spent forever. I think he spent about four days in each shop. Now that is, I'm not lying, that's an exaggeration. Well, that's a lie too, but you know what I'm trying to say. Forgive me, Lord. He spent so long, it seemed like four days. I should say it that way. And to me, I couldn't get it. See, he was the beholder, and he would look at a stamp, and he'd have this magnifying glass out in the tweezers, and I'm going, it's a stamp. It's worth 2D, you know, or whatever. But he looked at it. He's seen a beauty in it. He's seen a, a, an, an art in it. He's seen what was entailed in that that I couldn't see. And so whenever... The father looks at his son. Others look at him and deride him. They reject him. But when he looks at him, he takes him, speaking reverently as it were, with that magnifying glass and those tweezers, and he looks. And he sees Calvary. He sees him on the cross. And as he's looking, he sees a beauty that no one sees. He sees something that we 
will never understand. That's why it's in Christ alone, in Him and in none other, that we'll find our salvation. He looks at him and he says, this is my fellow. This is my beloved son. This is my lamb. And he sees more than you and I will ever see. And he's precious to him. Now, how ridiculous, how vain, how futile is it for man whose breath is in his nostrils, who lives a life of the flesh, to expect at some time to stand before him and say, well, I wasn't too bad, God. Maybe I should get into your heaven. And that same God, the Father will say, What about my son? What about my lamb? You rejected him and you turned him away. You wanted nothing to do with him. What about the man that is my fellow? He's mine, my beloved. How empty is it for anyone to think, well, we can live how we like and do what we want and die and go into eternity and stand before God and say, look at me, here I am, I'm a great person, let me in. The Father will point them to the cross and say, what about him? For the beauty, the preciousness that is being beheld by the eye of the Father and in the eye of the Father of his beloved on the cross is so dear and so precious to him. Listen, that person without Christ will end up in a lake of fire. He's precious to God. The idea here is that how precious was he to some? Judas Iscariot bargained with the chief priests for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. I mean, we think of, well, maybe that's quite a bit. No. 30 pieces of silver, according to the Old Covenant and the New Old Testament, Zechariah 11 and verse 12 tells us, 30 pieces of silver was if someone's slave was killed or injured and put out of action. They would take 30 pieces of silver and say, there you are, now off you go. A measly sum for a life. And so they say to him, how precious is he to you, Judas? Well, uh, what do you want to give me? And I, and I will hand them over to you. Well, here's a measly 30 pieces of silver here, because he's going to die like a slave would die. Here, 
That's the valuation of many people concerning the Lord Jesus. It means here the word in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, the word precious here can mean, it's the word entimas, entimas. And it gives the idea of he was dear, D-E-A-R, very, very dear. He is chosen of God and he is very dear to God. That's your saviour, Christian. That's my saviour. That's our Lord. That's the beauty of the one who came to die for us. That's the glory of him, that he is so precious to heaven. Yet his name is blasphemed like those at the cross. Time's almost gone, but give me a few moments and I'll try and pick out a couple of other things. Secondly, he's precious to the faith. He is precious to the faith, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 6. It says, Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion the chief cornerstone, elect precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Notice, he's precious to the faith. He is the set, the laid down chief cornerstone. The cornerstone was the strength of a place. He's the chief cornerstone. All things will rest on him. And if you believe in him, although all things are resting in him, because all things rest on him, he says, he is elect. It's the same word for chosen here. He is the elect of the Father. He says, he is the elect cornerstone, and all things rest on him. And if you believe in him, if you believe in him, he says, You'll not be confounded. No, you, you'll understand the ways of the kingdom. You'll enter into the glory. He's precious to the faith. And verse 7 tells us, Unto you therefore which believe he is precious, but unto them which, believe, which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. So now he's not only the chief cornerstone, he's the head cornerstone. In Matthew 16, the Lord Jesus says, upon this rock, the revelation of himself, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so here he says that I am the rock of your foundation. And then if you were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, Paul says, other foundation can no man lay that that which has been laid. And that all of our works will be tried as uh, gold, silver, and precious stones, or silver, gold, and precious stones, or wood, hen, stubble. Do you know why Paul mentions that? Be burned up, he says, the wood, hen, and the stubble. Do you know why he mentions that? Because, you see, the houses were built close together, and he looked at it, and he took what's known as a city-living metaphor. And he looked at the city of Corinth, and they were all built together, and some of the, the cheaper houses, well, they were just knocked together. We have a couple of builders here, and, and uh, I know they wouldn't just knock things together. They do things well. Uh, they build houses well. But they would have just got pieces of branch and wood and tree and stuck it all together and they put a straw on the roof. And, and if there was a fire, those who were built properly with the right foundation, with the right cornerstone strengthening the building, if fire came, people had a chance to escape. But the problem was those who built it from cheapness, 
their house went up in smoke like a spark. And what happened was they died in it. So Paul is taking this and saying, are you building a house for a gone like wood hen stubble which will be tried with fire? None will escape this, he says. This will not stand in that day, but those who build on the head or the chief cornerstone with the foundation of Christ, it will stand. You see, there's a fire comes into your life and it's a fire of worry and trouble and trial and testing. Fire of circumstances and storms and giants and sicknesses and all those things. And it's not in the wood hen stubble that keeps us going. Listen, I could bring you this morning and you could come here and I would tell you a story of wood, hay and stubble. It's easy listening. And you could say, wasn't that a great wee meeting? I understood everything right to the very T and the dotting of the I. And I feel so blessed inside. And you go home and something happens and you crumble. You burn up. But when you get the word... Those things come and you turn to his word. And there you find, now here's the chief cornerstone. Here is the head. Here is the rock and the firm foundation. Here is the fire of trial all around me and here am I. And it's all still standing, Lord. That's the difference. See, when we see this, he is the head and he is the foundation. He's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the ending, the first and the last, the author and the finisher or the perfecter of our faith. And he's everything in between. And so when it comes to this, it says of the Lord Jesus in verse 6, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, the cornerstone that came with the apostles to these islands gospel of Christ. Here's your cornerstone. Here's your foundation. He says, I lay on Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth in him shall not be confounded. I finish with this point. Thirdly, briefly, unto you therefore which believe, verse 7, Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. Now, uh, Peter tells us that he's precious to you and I who know him. And that's true. Is Christ precious to you? If you're the beholder of Christ this morning, what's his valuation to you? How valuable, how precious is the Lord Jesus this morning? What is his valuation in your estimation? Is he more valuable than things in your lifestyle? Is he more valuable than your TV set? Is he more valuable than your comfortableness? Is he more valuable than your own time? Is he more valuable than your sleep? Is he more valuable than the food you eat? Is Christ more valuable to you than everything else and anything else? He said to Peter when he was resurrected at the Sea of Galilee, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Now, did he mean more than the other disciples? Do you love me more than the other disciples love me? Or did he mean, do you love me more than the fishing boats you returned to? I believe it was all. 
Do you love me more than anything else? Do you love him more than what your family say are thinking? Do you love him more than your work colleagues? How precious is Christ to you? Paul says, he is my life. Now, the idea changes here. Now, you are for its belief he is precious. It's not just how you and I feel that he is precious. You and I know that we are bought with the precious blood of Christ. Scriptures tell us his blood is precious, dear to his Father. It is precious to the faith. The blood of the Lamb is central to the faith. It's the blood is the foundation of the faith. You can't have a faith of Christianity. You can't have a a living sacrifice and a living spiritual temple. You can't have it and not have the blood. You can't have it not preached either. It has to be through the blood. His blood is precious. We are given exceeding great and precious promises in 2 Peter 1 and 4. But here's where it changes here. It gives the idea of Christ's preciousness. Remember our first point? He's precious to God. The preciousness of the Father beholding his Son. He's precious to me. The idea here is those of us who are in Christ share the same preciousness. That's hard to take in. That if you're saved, that if you're born again and washed by faith in the blood, that if you belong to Jesus, then it says this, that you are as precious to the Father now in your standing like I was prayed this morning. You're in righteousness of Christ, and right here and now, you are so precious to your Father. So precious. It's as though he's looking at his only begotten son. Now you need to take this home, Christian, this morning. Christian who feels they're no use, they're not loved. Christian who feels they can't go on. Christian who thinks God won't forgive them. Person who feels they've went too far. The backslider who's went into the far country. Your father loves you as he loves the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the idea of this. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. That preciousness is shared and comes down unto you. Now, that's the idea of that. Look, I could go on because there's so many times well past. Here's what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 22 and verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Wonder how many was in the meeting you were in the night you got saved who heard the same words you heard from a preacher on the pulpit or someone testifying. Wonder how many has been walking through the street whenever you heard the words being preached by a street preacher in the open air gospel. I wonder how many have heard the, the word of the Lord in different places around the country and yet it's been you and me and many others who are saved. What about the rest? Well, Here's where the whole big conundrum happens. Before the foundation of the world, scriptures tell us we are chosen. You ready, Christian? Want to listen to it? 
tell you what, I just want to read it to you. Ephesians 1 and 4 says, According as he hath chosen us. God has chosen us. Where? In him. Oh no, well we don't really like to think like that because listen, many are called. Here's the call goes out. Whosoever come the waters of life, drink freely. Whosoever, whosoever. The invitation, the call means they are invited. But only those whom the Father has given to his Son will come. You know what that tells me? That even though I'm failure, that I fall like everyone else. Even though that I am so imperfect, that no matter what happens, I belong to him. Because he has died for me. I do not advocate a life of sin. You know that. But we walk right. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Ephesians 1 and 4. The chosen as he elected us. I remember the night I got saved. I'm sitting in a meeting and heard of the cross and heard of all this. And I came a wretch. I, I came as a, a sinner, deep died in sin. I'd been in court on the Friday and held for contempt of court. I was out from Friday to the Sunday morning. And I don't know what I did, but I woke up very ill because I, I feel, felt I just wanted to finish my life. Steeped in alcohol, steeped in drugs, steeped in sin, steeped in violence. I couldn't take any more. And I knew I was going to finish it. And I woke up on a friend's floor. And next thing I knew, I was listening to the gospel. And many were called, but few were chosen. Who knew that God would choose a wretch like me? And like you. And the effectual call dropped into my spirit. For he had wakened me to see the Christ of God on the cross. And I said, oh, the lamb is for me. He saved me. He saved you. Every one of us have a testimony of the saving grace of God. Every one of us. God bless his word to us. Jesus is precious. Amen.